Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Study in Games podcast. My name is Tanner. I'm Brad. I am Joe. I'm Olivia. And I'm Robbie. And this month, we played uh, Outer Wilds, uh, published by Annapurna Interactive, and Subsurface Circular, developed by Bithel Games. Um, as part of the, the final chapter in our season in which we play um, games that have sessions or you can complete them in under two hours. Uh, so we're sort of stretching the definition a little bit with Outer Wilds. Uh, I didn't didn't understand quite how long the game was when I initially picked it. But um, with that, we can uh, sort of jump in. What was everybody's thoughts? What's the name of our podcast again? A study in games <laughs> from yeah. Little Rock Games. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Thanks, I forgot. It's okay. Um, jumping in, what do you guys think? What did you guys think of the games, Joe? Oh, what did I think? Yes, my initial. These are what we call the initial thoughts. You're my first yep. thoughts. Okay. Um, well, I had played Outer Wilds some, however long ago, months ago, years ago. How long? When was it published? Oh, 2019? May 2019. 2019. So I, I played it some back then, and then I played it some again recently. And the thing that struck me most about it is just how, what an inviting world it is. Um, and so I kind of want to talk some about that because... I'm an Brad and I, I guess, are the old timers of this group. And I remember yes, we are when uh, there's a was a little game called Mist that came oh, out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I I've often I, well, I didn't often think this, but I, I think now that Outer Wilds is the game that Mist dreamed of being in one way. So I want to talk more about that later. Um, and then Subsurface Circular, I think, is really fascinating as a kind of mm -hmm. narrative experience. So there's lots of interesting mechanical stuff going on narratively um, that I want to talk more about. But I'm excited for today. Plus, it's December. Um, I can I can jump in with uh, sort of piggybacking on all of that. Um, I, I now that you mentioned Mist, Joe, that brings back all kinds of great memories of that. And I knew that there was something familiar about it kind of underneath, and maybe that's what it was, uh, that sort of uh, familiarity with Mist. Um, yeah, both of them. It, you know, a sort of a remarkable thing about this season of games, uh, a lot of these games that we've done in this season where we're playing these short games, they because they're short format, they end up being really interesting ways to frame a narrative, right? So uh, The Longest Road on Earth and uh, The First Tree and uh, uh, what, what was the other one? Uh, the Short Hike. I, I think constraining games, this is kind of something that I, I've learned during the season of playing these games. Constraining games down like this really, uh, really does make an interesting way to do narrative. And I think sub surface circular i'm going to try not to blow that name up too much um I, it's a it's a really great example i mean they both are but uh just a really interesting and novel new way to to uh, to uh, a novel take on on storytelling and and getting a, a narrative out um and that was sort of my big picture take um but yeah and we can talk more about that as we go um 
Robbie, what 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 are your thoughts, man? Um, I think uh, I'm kind of on the same page as as you guys. Um, you know, it's it's, I mean, subsurface circular is more in keeping with like sort of the the short uh, games, but um, and I and I enjoyed it for kind of for what it was, and I really enjoyed Outer Wilds. Um, the the controls i guess got onto me and i you know it's it's for me it, it's frustrating when controls kind of get in the way of narrative but over time i never really got good at it but it kind of i don't know maybe the maybe the first time i sat down with it annoyed me uh, i wasn't in the right headspace but it kind of brought me into it a little bit better and so i kind of want to talk a little bit about that too wait um, so the outer wilds controls is that what you mean yeah so were you on keyboard and mouse or controller? Keyboard and mouse. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I played on I got to get a controller. This is like the umpteenth game that we've played where you guys say the controller. Anyway, that's yeah, I think it's it's easier on controller. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Well, and, and we'll get into this later. Um, but I think over time, the the difficulty of the keyboard added something, I guess. Hmm. Um. You know, like, okay, I'll just a brief, because it's not, maybe there's no conversation here, but like when you watch um, like that movie Apollo 13 or anything with like a space shuttle and there's like a lot of switch flipping happening or, or flip switching or whatever, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Very authoritative. I like flip switching. <laughs> yeah. And flip switching. And when I put myself in that headspace, it sort of was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I have to you know, manage a lot of this stuff. Cause it's a, it's kind of, it, you know, it's a rinky dink kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I didn't mind it so much. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. I'll, uh, I'll jump in with some of my initial thoughts. Um, Cause um, I, I, I really loved both of these games actually. Um, and it is super interesting because, you know, this one, you know, you mentioned that it was stretching the definition a little bit, Tanner, but now the more I think about it, the more I think that this might be like one of the best, like the best fitting pair of games for this theme because of the way that the that Outer Wild uses uh, like the individual session, which we'll talk about when we talk about the mechanics a little more. Um, and and I, I really like Subsurface Circular, but I am so like bubbling over with thoughts and feelings about Outer Wilds. It's going to be really hard for me not to just talk about it the whole podcast. Um, and uh, Tanner and I actually played it together. Um, and the reason for that is because, and this is something that we, I, we preface this a bit when we first picked these games um, in one of our outside of the recording conversations with everyone. But um, I think this Outer Wilds is a scarier game to me than any horror game I have ever played. <laughs> And I wanted deeply to love it from the moment I booted it up, but I just had such anxiety about every single thing in that game, other wow. than like the village at the beginning, which is delightful and I absolutely loved and I knew there was so much to dive into. But and once I got over that that hump and I was able to get Tanner to hold the controller and do the parts that scared <laughs> me the most, um, I I absolutely deeply am just super just over like. I just can't stop thinking about this game. I've had like dreams about it for like the last week, like every wow. day. Like it's so, nice. Yeah. But I, I'm going to try not to gush too much because I do have a lot of criticisms about it, but I do feel like it's very worthy of 
all of the good things I've heard about it. And so I'm really glad that we picked it. So I had the opportunity to force myself to get through the stuff that scared me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I was definitely there to to help guide us through the the dark uh, angler dark fish ramble. infected dark ramble. <laughs> oh my god, uh, I can't even. Ugh. Gosh, I wish I was there now. I wish I had been there. That's, that sounds That's... intriguingly delightful. Delightfully intriguing. <laughs> it was a, a good a good rhythm we developed, sort of nice. swapping off. But you two should uh, do a stream together. You could show should. the world what it's like when you play a game. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Have y'all ever thought of that? Huh, right. <laughs> yeah, people do that now. <laughs> it's interesting uh, what you said, Robbie, about the the outer wilds because I uh, glanced off of the game pretty hard uh, the first time I played it. I, I sort of played it on a whim, um, and I made it like. To the, to the reveal about the time loop and like uh, maybe one or two tries after that. Um, and then I kind of put it down and didn't think about it again for like a year uh, straight. Uh, and I wanted to sort of give it a second chance uh, this month. And I'm glad I did. Um, I, think, I think part of the reason I sort of uh, missed it a little bit the first time is it felt like there was so much to do for a game that felt uh, at first very like relaxing and very chill. Uh, and so I think I, it just kind of wasn't what I was expecting at the time. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, and with Subsurface Circular, I, uh, I feel like I would have enjoyed the game a lot more uh, playing it like two or three years ago. Because it does a lot of interesting things that I think back in like 2018 would have felt uh, a lot more exciting to me but playing it now i think i think a lot of uh those a lot of the mechanics that feel like they were probably unique in it at first have sort of disseminated into the you know wider genre of narrative heavy games but um I, I I just realized I always do this out of order uh, to give sort of a, a basic description of both games. <laughs> um, the Outer Wilds is a time loop space exploration game in which you try to stop your local star from exploding and killing everyone. Yeah, and actually, uh, I, I I feel like first before we say another word about Outer Wilds, if more than any other game that we've ever done in this podcast. Um, Please beware of spoilers because this game, I feel like, and this is the one thing I knew about the game before I played it was that you do not want to get it spoiled because every mystery and every new thing in this game is the game. Um, and you really like want to jump in knowing absolutely nothing about it. So if you're even passively interested in the game, this conversation might be, <laughs> you really might completely ruin it for you if you ever do pick it up. Um, like even like knowing about the time loop and the sun exploding to me would have I would have yeah I I, I feel like even knowing that can be <laughs> I I included that because it's it's in the uh, the original um, fig campaign description oh, of yeah, what they I were mean, developing that's so <laughs> that's that was the initial pitch but no, I even... I'm so so I tried so hard not to get spoiled I didn't I literally refused to read anything about it going into it just because of what I had heard about it. So that was probably just my personal like veil I put up as, as like a <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. There, but. 
I think that's that's good advice going into it overall, though, for sure. Uh, and and Subsurface Circular is an interactive fiction game uh, that takes place entirely in a a robots only subway car. Um, and you talk to other passengers that arrive uh, and try and solve a mystery. So that concept, I mean, I, I, I think. Um... Outer Wilds is probably the more traditionally recognizable walking through 3D space type of game, right? And flying a rocket ship. But just the concept of the way subsurface circular... It's uh, pronounced subnautica. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, That's a different game. Um, Just just the way that, that that's presented and put together is just so wonderfully novel in itself just i was i was i really dug the way that that was a way to do interactive storytelling and it reminded me so way back 2000 here i've got it on screen somewhere because i wanted to bring this up uh 1996 see i was trying to say 2000 something it was 1996 this guy jeff ryman wrote an interactive website novel called uh 253 or it was subtitled tube theater and basically the the premise of it is that there are seven subway cars in london and they have 253 people on the cars and the entire novel is a hyperlinked hypertext document that it will describe a character and what they're going through in their day. And you can click on other parts of their story and it will take you to another person who is also on the train. And so everything is interconnected that way. And it's this really interesting nonlinear attempt at storytelling from, from, from really the early days of the internet and, and that kind of hypertext. Um, But that this reminded me almost of a sort of a 3d, uh, version of that because well for one it's on a subway but it's also that sort of you're you're going through the stories of individuals on this train and at, the story unfolds by you discovering all these little parts about them um, so that was that was just a, a really interesting uh, it made me wonder if uh, the creator of sub, subsurface circular was familiar with 253 uh anyway it used to be a website and now it's the website has been website squatted and it's he no longer has it on there so anyway Makes that's me whole, so sad i know stuff like that gets lost the that's a, a terrible legacy total side note terrible legacy of of the medium of the internet is that that stuff when it's gone it's pretty much gone forever i mean you, you you've got the wayback machine the internet archive which is still available. Uh, two two fifty three is available in part on uh, Internet Archive, but not in whole. It's it's hard to get get it all together. Anyway, that was a weird little aside about a, a different connection to this game. I, Carry I think on. That's a <laughs> a really great point, Brad. It uh, because that that was one of my favorite elements of subsurface circular it's actually something that i actually kind of wanted more out of it um i i didn't find the the mystery itself 
to be immensely satisfying. Yeah. Um, but I did find that the just conversations with the other passengers, that's what I really enjoyed while playing it. Uh, uh, you know, especially in hindsight with how, how the, the mystery sort of concluded. Um, I <laughs> spoiler <laughs> right again as always spoilers I uh I didn't really love the the a b ending of whether or not to allow the revolution to happen or to just not it yeah. kind of felt uh I don't know a little bit of a left turn from earlier I guess I mean the the themes are in there but I didn't feel like I had enough uh, grounding in that setting for that decision to feel meaningful. Yeah, I mean, there's a genre problem, isn't there? Like, it it, yeah. felt, it started out feeling like a noir and there's nothing of that grand scale in noir. Like, in noir, it's about little people who don't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of the conversation I'm interested in having around subsurface circular is about narrative conventions and about how they're used in that format and you know anyway it's but it's it's a i i'm just i think agreeing with you tanner that that it it things took a very grand turn in a way that was not didn't feel quite right you know it's interesting we there have been several games that we've played and specifically or particularly narrative heavy games uh that are trying to do something very novel with the way they're telling a story that have had problems kind of sticking the landing of the ending. Mm. Um, I think I remember when we played the game that we seem to bring up every single podcast, uh, What's What Remains of Edith Finch. Banished. Uh, <laughs> and Banished. Yeah, um, those are the two cornerstones yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> right. But in, in What Remains of Edith Finch, that was one of the, I think that was, one of our real only criticisms that I think maybe Joe had, if I recall correctly, that that it it, it you had trouble with the the way the mm-hmm. le- the ending unfolded, mm-hmm. um, and and that's just to say that I wonder how much that's a problem of uh, design or mm-hmm. the problem of the medium, the problem of of telling stories in this way. Um, and I don't, I don't really know, or the problem of just writing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is in the whole history of storytelling, right? You, if you like endings are the hardest part and so, right. If you you get the ending right, then you can do a lot of bad stuff in, in the middle and people don't care because they don't remember. Yeah, exactly. I feel like with all these games though, with the ones we're talking about, they did so much right in the storytelling and the delivery and the interactive parts yeah um and that's i i think i again going back to that previous podcast from months ago years ago even uh about what remains of Edith finch i think we were kind of universally able to forgive any problems that we might have had with the ending because the game itself was such a joy to play mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and and on a, on a smaller scale i think subsurface circular god that's why is that so hard for me to say we can say the space game and the robot game i'm right. surprised none of us have said outer worlds yet <laughs> i've it's cut yeah i had to stop I shouldn't myself have, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't have i shouldn't have said a thing it's gonna happen now. Uh, i know i know I, I literally Fallout. stopped <laughs> i literally stopped myself from saying outer worlds a minute ago 
but yeah, uh, maybe it's just not a good night for me to be talking. <laughs> but and I, I try to sort of um, avoid criticizing too heavily based on just the ending. But in this case, uh, I think it I felt let down by it specifically because of the very intentional like short form format. Mm-hmm. so i mean that's interesting especially in the context of how we've been talking about shorter games so thus far yeah because yeah. i i think i think i am definitely okay with those kinds of like endings when i've had more time to feel like i can can make that decision so as as much as the the mass effect 3 ending is bemoaned for just like <laughs> pick a color scheme <laughs> Uh, I at least had a rough idea of what the the consequences of those choices would be in the universe, because I'd spent three games exploring and understanding what this world is. Mm -hmm. But in Subsurface Circular, they're asking me whether or not I'm going to go forward with, like, an entire societal, like, revolution. And, like, five minutes ago, I was asking, like, what is this super prominent political party that is like, (laughs) are they? And what is the like basis of religion for like the robots? Or even stuff about themselves. Like why don't robots have faces? Like, why would I not know that as, as one of the, and they call them texts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fine in that format, but I don't want to feel like I don't, I don't feel like I'm. I feel like I'm flipping a coin. I'm like, sure. I feel like it's probably better if there's like people living in luxury space communism rather than unenfranchised, you know, disenfranchised mm-hmm. uh, poor people. That's sort of what I understand that the dichotomy is. Uh, but I don't, I don't know enough about the world for it to feel meaningful. Yeah, yeah it feels so. Like the only way to really make that decision is based on what you bring yourself to the narrative, mm-hmm. which is cool, I guess. But it's kind of not what you're looking for in, in a game, I guess. Like it, it does ends up not really challenging you. Didn't much. really land. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, and I think the other issue is that, yeah, the 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 person I cared most about was the the kind of projected. Uh, protagonist right because it's in the end with narrative games like this where everything is predetermined and where you're just clicking lines that you're you're sort of saying well I'm saying this but it's really the protagonist who's saying it right like and and I think actually there's an interesting conversation to have around that as well like the relationship we have to a kind of avatar protagonist in a game where all of the narrative is 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 basically pre-canned for us Um, because I didn't feel like I was the one who was making that decision I feel like the the only thing I really cared about enough for the ending to be meaningful to me was this this poor robot who was getting his memory wiped because he he was he poked his nose which is all noirish stuff right like you're yeah he, he poked his nose too far into the mystery he, because he, they were trying to do the right thing yeah he ruffled some feathers or or they ruffled or you know for me it was a he but um the but 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 so then the they paid the ultimate price which is that you know the tech show up and they're like you know. You, you made a bad choice here, you know, uh, Sam Spade. And so now we're going to have to wipe you. And so I, I guess to come back to Tanner's point, like, so an ending, like a real noir ending would be, that was it. Like 
that's, yeah, that's know, like he gets wiped and that's the end of I the thought story. that was the ending I yeah. like, literally thought like I was like getting up out of my chair yeah and then, and then and, I came back and was like wait yeah which is a tragedy right this guy tries to care and and or and and you know tries to make a difference and in the end you know this the weight of of this society just crushes him um because the government and the police and nobody wants anything to change and so Anyway, all of that is to say that that yeah. like like you guys, I was hoping I was expecting an ending that was a that was very personal to this this individual detective. And and I, I think that would have been a stronger ending, even if it was quote unquote more linear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there there was already a, a good degree of like optional content in terms of how much you help the other passengers or how much you were able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did like the kind of a recap where they pointed out that like the character Red had been watching what you did and like brought those things up again. Like mm-hmm. I like that aspect. So I, I think you could have had a good degree of variability, like maybe coming to terms with the fact that like you might be, you might not be a detective anymore, but you know that doesn't mean you can't still help people or mm-hmm. or try to to operate around this system um, or so, something akin to that. I, I can can get behind that more as a concept in the amount of time I have in this space, uh, essentially. Yeah. Yep. Um, having said all that though, I, I, I'm not sure how, where everybody lands on, on kind of enjoying it, but I, I actually really uh, like the experience and I actually, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, I was trying to think about, cause I, I also listened to a little bit, not really listened, but I read some of the developer commentary when you get to the end, right. You can, they, you can turn that on and then replay the game. And so, so I played just a little bit with the developer and I don't know if anybody else did it, but it's not commentary. Like you would get over the, like a movie instead, there's like right another coma had <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but instead there's an extra robot on the train who you can talk to. <laughs> and so <Nice>. that <laughs> robot is I sort of like that. The, yeah. Like it's the designer voice. And so you can ask, it, it actually turns out it's like a chat bot on a website. Like you can ask it questions about, you're like, hey, so I was thinking about buying this vacuum cleaner. And they're like, well, maybe we can help you with that. Um, so, so you can ask design questions. You can ask questions about the narrative. You can ask questions about, you know, the making the, the coding of the game and the technology and how it worked. And so um, anyway, it was, uh, I, I just found it, um, I found it enjoyable as compared with say a twine adventure, which if you, anybody who's done those, right? Like to have this kind of fully realized 3D space in which to operate was kind of neat, I thought. It's a really nice looking game too. Like yeah. the UI yeah. was really slick. The, the only thing the I feel didn't, for it. Mm-hmm. The only thing I didn't really like was how the sort of camera wiggling mm. <laughs> that happened. Like it was fine. I got used to it, but for some reason I had, it kept making my, me go cross-eyed. But, like but, the, the, what do you mean? Like the shaking of the train or the. No, no, the camera would just sort of slightly like tilt with your mouse, like depending on how close you were to the Like yeah. it, it wasn't enough to feel oh. like my head was moving, but it was just enough to be weird. I totally yeah. didn't notice yeah. that. There's a tiny yeah. perspective change. Yeah. So okay. I noticed there was a, a setting in the talk, uh, a toggle in the settings uh, to, to turn that off. But but yeah, I agree. It was kind of a little a little queasy making. But it's a so, nitpick. I mean, I feel like the game was really really a nice. Like it felt like part of a fully realized world. So yeah. I wonder. So I played it on the Switch, 
And so holding it in my hand and seeing the camera drift didn't really bother me. But I could see, I could totally see how if I was like sitting and just my mouse kind of shifting changed it, that would so totally so on the weird. switch did it did it do the shift with the accelerometer? Yeah. Accelerometer? Uh, so it just did it naturally as you held the game. Yeah. If oh, you nice. if if you That's tilted cool. it up, the the camera kind of shifted up with, like within reason. It, it doesn't yeah, give yeah. you you know you can't like look at the roof of the or the mm-hmm. ceiling of the train car or anything. Interesting. I, yeah, I think I would would prefer that sort of feeling more. I think. Well, that makes me wonder what it was. Which was the preferred design? Like, what what was he designing it for? You know. Mm. Um, who knows. So know. we should ask the robot on the train. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what did you, uh, Tanner, you mentioned the puzzles a little bit, right? Which I I was kind of, I had mixed feelings about the puzzles in the narrative. Um, and I wondered what other people thought about them. I I liked most of them, except for the one where you have to talk back and forth between the emotional support robot and the detective uh-huh. over and over again. Yeah, that one I I just was like I I just didn't really have much hints of what I was looking for or like why I was doing this. Mm-hmm. So I was just like I just had to exhaust every option basically and yep. go back and forth. Well, yeah, that, lo- sorry, go ahead, Riley. I was just kind of agree- like a a lot of it did sort of feel like. Yeah, it's a puzzle, but it, you know, I I don't have to think that much because I could just kind of push all these buttons and eventually it's just going to work out. <laughs> just well, like life, I the feeling I had, I guess, is that they they just felt a little canned. Um, and we've talked about this, I think, on this podcast before, like when people are thinking about how to design and they're like, well, okay, I want to put some puzzles in. And then they go to the, you know, like Wikipedia and they're like common puzzles. Right. (laughs) So here's a, like a cipher. Um, I can't even remember. There's a specific name for a cipher where you move a letter one space. I can't remember what they're called, but. And and then the priest. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, Um, But the priest who just like, you had to answer this this like why like narratively it made no sense why yeah. you had to do the my riddles three yeah <laughs> exactly but so 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 you've got the logic puzzle which is like you know the blue guy doesn't eat toaster ovens that's the, what i'm talking know, about yeah yeah oh that was <laughs> right sorry that was the one i thought you meant the sequence of the confession which was like tell me your uh, name that's like, fine i thought those were so i feel like most of them were fine like that one sort of made sense couple of the others made sense yeah that one was just like why are you making no, me yeah. do this and but so, the game also has a button that just basically solves the puzzles for you no so. i know i just i guess what bugged me as a designer was just the feeling like i always want more out of narrative like for me coming from a like like writing is one of the cores for me of my design I like where my design ideas come from. And so I always want more out of writing. And so when puzzles just feel dropped into the writing, it just, it, that's, yeah. it just, I don't know. It just bugs me. And and I, I want, I mean, we also know this as designers, right? That, that in terms of the, the complexity of designing a video game, writing is one of the cheap, cheapest elements. You can do it so often and revise it so much. Yeah much more cheaply than any other part of the process almost, um, you know, because everything else takes so much time to iterate. Um, 
to get it like bug free and, and, you know, designed properly, but writing, you can just revise and revise and revise. So I'm just always wanting writers, especially writing focused games to, to really, really do it. That's my message. And that's actually, um, (laughs) that actually might be an interesting transition to talk about outer wilds a little bit, because in a lot of ways that game is just one puzzle, but it's like the difference between like, like a book with one page with a word search on it that you have to complete to get to the next page of the book yeah. versus like a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. that Outer Wilds is, you know? Um, and a lot of the puzzles in that game were super satisfying to me to, to get the knowledge to like figure out. And yep. that is what the narrative is, is solving this yeah situation by by finding little pieces that seem completely unrelated but then slowly start to form like a bigger picture yeah um which i mean is so effective to me in a lot of ways i feel like um of the games that we played for this podcast it i kept thinking of oberdin while i was playing it Uh, ah nice yeah because two reasons one um just because it's it's, it does feel like you're doing the same sort of thing but just on a totally different scale totally different mechanics totally different setting obviously um and but but i also had the exact same problem with it that i did at the very very end of oberdin where i just almost figured it out except for one stupid thing that like was (laughs) like that was just like i got this close and then there was just like one tiny thing that was just frustrating to figure out but but if you look at the sort of the overall picture like that one thing among all the other things it's still overall really well done but it it also turns out that that difficult thing used is the like the last thing you have to do so (laughs) do do, do we also need to include spoilers for oberden in this this podcast (laughs) i don't know about that a blanket Spoiler alert. It's, it was the guy. shoe. The shoe. I will never, like, you mean to tell me the shoe. Okay, we're done. I'm done. Right. <laughs> Where did those guys end up when they got on the lifeboat? That's all I remember. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I didn't mean to, like, totally pivot from talking about it, but I do no, feel like no. that is yeah, a yeah. really common, like, a level of overlap, right? Like, so what are the puzzles, like, what were they for in, in Subcircus Circular versus yeah. Outer Wilds? And, and right. how much more effective it is when the game is way more considerate about the purpose of the puzzle? Well, yeah, and I mean, that's, in, in a way, gets back to the point earlier about the kind of genre fail. I mean, and again, let me stress that I, I think subsurface circular is awesome and I want more games like it, but I think that kind of genre failure of the ending of it, this is the same problem. Like in, in classic noir, the puzzle is the story, right? And the, and, and there's some of that happening, but it's, it's like you, what you're describing with, with outer wilds is what you want out of that whole narrative experience, which is little pieces that's that initially feel uncanny and they feel like, am I, is that really happening? Right. And then suddenly they coalesce into this realization of the solution, which is, Oh my God, you know, that's the murderer. Right. So um, yeah, no, I think it's hundred percent right. And I actually love that, that we're kind of looking at these two different ways of, of how narrative works. Right. Um, Because it makes me think about something like Dwarf Fortress where you've got, you know, what we we would call emergent narrative, right. Where, or, or rim world where you get these games, where the narrative sort of is this thing that emerges out of what the simulation's doing. 
Then we've got Outer Wilds, which is that the narrative is this, this incredible puzzle that you were describing that's slowly piecing together. Um, and then we have these kind of visual novel and, and twine kind of things where somebody's just telling you a, a kind of a story and letting you kind of put the pieces together. It's great that all these different ways of, of, of storytelling can happen, you know, in, in our medium. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, we've said this before too, that it's nice to feel that we're on this sort of uh, getting in really early at this. This is the future of storytelling, I think. Um, in a lot of ways, it, to to the same extent that, you know, at the turn of the last century, motion pictures were were the mm -hmm. future of storytelling in a lot of ways. Not to say that books and store books and and film are going to go away, but this is certainly broadening and adding such a, a a huge aspect to it. And it's really cool that we get to see. I mean, think about all of the the games that center so so heavily on narrative that we've played from the beginning. Wilder Myths. Yeah. And uh, I mean, just tons of them uh, and how they all did something a little bit different and they all handled story, you know, exposition and every little piece of that storytelling a little bit differently. And in these really unique ways, uh, it's interesting to see how, where it's going to go. It's really exciting. Yeah. And, and in some ways, subsurface circuit, and, and again, I agree. And I'm, we've been talking about mostly mostly critically but yeah it was a really great game of just like a short narrative game that has some interesting mechanics really interesting setting pretty good writing you know i really liked it a lot but in a lot of ways it's sort of you know it's just another really good narrative game and i say that like you know it, i said it like that you know just to it and i think it's a good thing yep. but it didn't feel like it was you know, doing anything really new mechanically. And not that it has to. This is something that I say a lot, I feel like. On this no, place, it's but, true. Um. <laughs> it, it comes, but I mean, Tanner's point is is well taken, right? That it, 20, I was released in 2017. So we've we've all had four years to kind of soak in, in all yeah. of that stuff while it's, you know, been going, so. And, and Outer Wilds, I mean, I feel like rightfully, it feels like it, it really understands what it's asking of its players and what yeah. it, what it is in terms of narrative right because like so in subsurface circular you have like a linear narrative that happens in a certain order right mm -hmm. the interesting thing about outer wilds is that it does too mm -hmm. um it just has a lot more elements to it and it doesn't take you along a path to get there it just says go be free yep figure it out and you're in a time loop that lasts for 22 minutes in the game and you can get there's an ending um, and you and it took, gosh, Tanner, how long did we? So, so considering that you can end the game in one loop, and it how how many how many hours did we put in the game before we figured it out? This short game, I <laughs> right. Well, we played for seven hours straight last true. night. We played from <laughs> ten p.m. to five a.m. trying oh. to finish. And that's like what third day in a row that we did that or something. Wow. Oh, um, I, I think we played for more like five hours the previous two days. So so somewhere around all. like fifteen to twenty hours, I would say. Wow. You know, which that's sixty seventy loops somewhere in there, I guess. Maybe a little bit less. Yeah. So we, we, my point we, being is that the game, so and why I think it's actually a really interesting pick for this month is because the game, like it's almost impossible to measure how long it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the game is only like eight minutes long. It's like or it's like ten minutes long. Right. If you just go to the Optimally, ending of the game. Yeah. Um, 
but in practice it is much much longer than that and also like you know if if a player is engaging with it earnestly which they probably are if they're picking up a game like this in the first place anyway um you know they just want to find all of that information even if they did know what to do you know um right well this is the same i think it's related to the comment i've heard you make before olivia about like um like cheating in games that are hard right so like uh, when we were playing, uh, was it uh, Valheim? And remember I made, like I, I crafted some stuff, like I essentially like used oh, yeah. the God mode to craft some stuff. And you were like, like, but the whole point of the game is like the challenge of doing it. <laughs> and I said, shut up, you're wrong. And then you were like, no, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, that's about how I remember it. And then I punched you in the face. <laughs> and then you kicked me in the ribs. And then I set your house on fire. No, yeah, um, and they've never spoken since. But but this is, I think this is the narrative version of that, which is that like, sure, you could, you know, you could watch you know, the Godfather and skip right to the part where, you know, he murders everyone from the other five families and be like, spoilers. Now, now the son has become the father or you could, you know, I mean, you could do it with any like, you know, mystery, right? It's like, I'm just going to read the last chapter because that's (laughs) all that, all of it just leads up to that. Then I'll know the answer, right? Exactly. So so I'm sure there are people that do that, but like, but in real, like practically speaking, nobody does that. No, that's not the point. Exactly. So the it's it's true, and it's you know it sounds so cliche, right? But but the whole point is this: a good, the kind of beautiful adventure that Outer Wilds takes you on, that all of this stuff was left there for you to find. Um, I mean, I was thinking about that even a lot. You talked about the village, like the village is such a nice little polished place, and it's it's actually both from a design standpoint, really polished, but also kind of narratively and artistically polished. But I mean, I just even love the the kind of details of like how they introduce, you know, like they've got the zero G cave and like they've, they've got this really nice kind of way of walking you into the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it feels like the narrative and mechanics and the design all are just meshed really well together to create that experience. And, and so, yeah, you could, you could be like, okay, I need, I have eight minutes, I'm going to the end, <laughs> but but kind of living in it is is what's really fun and, and enjoyable, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, the, the fact that there is effectively no like gated content or progression, like there are no upgrades, there's nothing that you need to do A before you can do B to be able to complete the game uh, or any way to like, change your circumstances Mm -hmm. it's just getting a little bit more knowledge with each repetition uh i think really nails the the time loop genre i'm just gonna go ahead and call it a genre (laughs) coin it uh in a way that other games that i've played um haven't really done so like as much as i enjoyed death loop uh the sort of most recent time loop game comparison uh, a lot of the progression elements in that, like being able to upgrade your equipment and keep it between loops, uh, is fun. But by the end, felt like it it cheapened it mm. in a lot of ways. It still it still has this like gaining incremental knowledge uh, to try and align all of your goals to be able to complete it in one time loop. Um, but it didn't feel nearly as rewarding to me uh, as as this game did. And and Deathloop is more of the style of game that I typically really enjoy. Uh, 
but I, I just don't think it worked nearly as well um, as just having the sort of totally open experience. You go do anything, your tools remain the same, and it's just about learning um, all the information you need to know what to do. Right. Um, Dude, I, sorry, now I've, I've got I have two question. questions. Hold on. I have two questions. Okay, you go ahead. Go you, ahead. So question. Joe, you get one, then Joe no. asked his, and I then you ask both. Another <laughs> well, I have I have three questions. No, okay. Oh no. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna ask my questions, but I don't need answers because we can go right on to Brad's question. Maybe so, it's the same question. Okay. My first question is um, because you said you were coining the time loop genre. Now you've got me thinking how we might compare a time loop genre to something like roguelites. Roguelites, right? that's my question. That was totally my question. <laughs> so like Hades, right? So Hades is a really kind of polished, very high quality roguelite light light with a t um so you, you have that cycle of progression but you're you're adding things incrementally as you go back and try to fight your way through hell so that's one question but my other question is very specific which is has anybody played 12 minutes no and i really don't plan on it okay i only ask because it's another game that's been out it's it's got yes. obviously mixed reviews but i got um, the i got i did get that game spoiled and it because people said it was so terrible that you should spoil it so that you won't play it. Then okay. No. Oh. Okay. Well then, I, never mind. I was just curious because I it's it's free on Games Pass and I was gonna try it and I. Well, and it, I definitely wouldn't pay money for it. So. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it's worth hard. a try. Sure. And okay. I literally, I mean, I'm speaking about a game I haven't played, so like I don't know what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> but doesn't it have you and McGregor? Yeah, it's got big so actors Joe, in it. You should play it and and report back. Okay. You should. I'd be we curious if you get to the ending. You'll probably see why my reaction was that I, way. Okay. I don't yes, know. Please, I know. Please play it. I only know that I think it has you and McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you need? Plus, it's called Twelve Minutes, and it, I think it's a time loop game. So that's the only reason I was bringing it up. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so before you ask your second question, that's it. Um, those were my two questions. That's everything. Oh, what was the second question? <laughs> question one: Rogue Lights. Question two, 12 minutes. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Um, I got you. Well, I, I want to go back to your first question then. Um, let's unpack, like, what's... How much overlap is there between a roguelike... Light. And a rogue... Okay, so what's the difference between rogue... Roguelites, roguelites carry things over. So, so a roguelite okay. with so a T allows you to progress in the metagame. So we're saying Outer Wilds is a roguelike. Light. With a K. With a T. No, because it doesn't have progression between other than what I guess you do have one thing, and that is your own knowledge of the game. Yes. That's no, and it, so that makes it, it a, a T. Well, it also re I mean it <laughs> This is exactly what I wanted to narrow down. I think it's a roguelite with a T, <laughs> but I guess I think that because of the way it handles information. Yeah. Information so, are the the locks and keys and everything. I can I can see the argument for sure. Yeah, but but I also can see calling it a rogue like with a can K. it not be both? No, can't it? It, it cannot can't be both. <laughs> well, okay. Well, then here's another a follow up question. Can either either Let's get either rid of the a term. rogue? <laughs> Shut up. Sorry. Think not. I have you a think clear not. definition for what a time loop game wow, in my head is. Wow, you guys are so persnickety about your your yeah, <laughs> which is great. Which is, I mean, that's what that's what we that's when we get paid to do this podcast, right? 
Do we get paid? You guys get paid, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody. Have you guys paid. gotten a check yet? <laughs> I make so, five five thousand dollars an episode. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so I think that the the key definition to a time loop game, in my opinion, is the fact that each loop, the situation has to be exactly the same um, in all like meaningful nice. ways. So thinking about like if it's if it's a shooter like Deathloop, I want to know that my target or whatever, if I'm standing on this rooftop at ten minutes after the game started, right. I will have a perfect shot to get like two of them at once or mm -hmm. something like that. Or I Or in I, this case, get into the portal before the sand shoots you into the other planet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like to me, that consistency is the delineating factor. Whereas in a roguelike or a roguelite, either one. <laughs> uh, the randomness is what's yeah, like the procedural okay. generation. So, yep. so yeah, Groundhog's yeah. Day is not a roguelike, is what you're saying. Exactly. Like <laughs> if you if you can go through the whole thing and essentially accumulate knowledge to know if I tell this person exactly this, I know how they're going to react. And if I go over here and do this, and you can essentially, with enough repetition, like totally master whatever you're trying to accomplish, that's that's the delineating yes. factor for However, me. However, but... Groundhog Day is, I think, what we should be aspiring to, which is that it's a reactive time loop game. Because, yes, things appear at that moment in an exact way, but, be, but based on how, you, how yes. you play, the game actually reacts to you in Groundhog Day. So, like, eventually he falls in love and she falls in love with him because it's reactive. And I think that's the dream, right, is that... So you would take, yeah. a, take a game like, like um, uh, Outer Wilds, but it's, it's kind of constantly adapting itself to you. How cool would that be? Let's yeah. get there. That would be, yeah, the closest that this game gets is that there is one other character who also remembers the time loop. Mm. Um, he chooses to do nothing. <laughs> he chooses to do, he literally sleeps in a hammock. I don't know if y'all met him. Yeah, it's the, the, the astronaut. Yeah, yeah. On, no. on the astronaut on the, the uh, water planet. Yeah. It's funny <laughs> because he was probably the, he, I think he was the last one that Tanner and I met. Right <laughs> during our playthrough, <laughs> we, we even like discovered that the the Isn't statues that the when you look at planet. Yeah, we went yeah. to that the planet first. <laughs> I, we went to that planet first and did exactly one thing on it, and then we're like, "Oh, well, now we're gonna go here," and then we didn't even come back until like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's is... so much stuff that was like it was so funny because there's one p really important piece of information that we like couldn't figure out like there's something we're missing like what is it and then we suddenly discovered the same piece of information in like three different places like and it was and it was almost all on that planet so yeah so the, the order in which you discover things to like totally changes Every, like your your interpretation of events right mm -hmm. um that's actually one thing that i i really like about the way that this game works um because it it generally you you probably are gonna go to giants deep first um just based on the fact that you look it's the first thing you see when you open your eyes at the beginning of a loop right mm -hmm. um and it feels important and it is important all the planets are super duper important um in their own completely different ways um, but I remember reading a, uh, it was an article by the makers of an like, indie game called Duskers, and they essentially were talking about how 
you know, and this is something that we'll, we know as like game narrative designers, is that if players get information in different order, it completely changes their perception of events, right? Mm-hmm. If they learn there's rats in the cellar and like, you know, somebody blew a hole on the side of the ship, like the way you perceive like the, the, the causality of those events changes, right? Yep. Um, and so this game, like, re- it relies a lot on that um, and is ways to sort of for for you to just create all kinds of wild theories that may or may not pan out to be true, um, which I, I, I'm picturing myself trying to set out to, like, design a narrative game like this. And I feel like it would be completely overwhelming <laughs> and challenging, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to to think about how things fit together in a completely different way. And I mean, that's sort of the ultimate like narrative design challenge for game developers, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think for this, it would definitely, my approach would be to work backwards. So to start with like the desired outcome in the ending, which is that like the universe has to die and restart. Okay, so how do we do that? Um, or why is that happening? And kind of build those, those steps out. I think it would be just so daunting to try and just be like i'm gonna take this puzzle and i'm gonna make this other puzzle and figure out somehow to connect them that maybe it's maybe it's just a different method of working but that seems terrifying to me but um (laughs) so just out of curiosity like so did anybody else besides tanner and i finish it because it is quite long it took us a long time to get there so i know Okay. Was there was there a like a wall that you hit and like like? So I'm sort of curious how you feel. Like I don't know if it was you know not. To, I'm not trying to put y'all about this, on the spot for once about not. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm genuinely curious about. Um, I, I'm I'm curious about the the sort of gap in knowledge that these sorts of games create and how that feels as a player and if that's a good thing a bad thing thing that keeps you motivated to look for stuff. Or a thing that makes it hard to figure out what you're supposed to do. I can give you my sort of reasons, although it's probably not a very satisfying reason. Um, I, there is so much others. So uh, games like both of these games, I think, require a mental focus in and 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 investment into the story that I really have to be in the right state of mind and the right place uh, to really uh wholeheartedly jump in and, and do all the stuff that needs to be done right um i can really enjoy a game like this without with well, like both of these without getting to the end um and the so on just a personal note this month leading into the between the two holidays is just crazy busy mm-hmm. and uh-huh. what i really want to play is something that I do not have to think about a puzzle for. And I think that if I was, if I, if I was at a month when it wasn't about to be Christmas and everything else, um, and I, I could be, I could more relax and get into the the puzzles in the story. I, I definitely, I think I would have gotten to the end of it and I would have really enjoyed it a lot more. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but it's just, it's a lot of, totally. a lot to focus on. Um, it is, and, and it you is guys, a lot. You guys and, did that last night till five a.m., right? That's like that's not something that everybody should be expected to do. <laughs> right. um, and the thing about that is, is that like, so I I definitely bounced off this game really hard for like I mentioned earlier because it scared the bejesus out of me, um, and because of 
of I I just was sort of aimless like I was like okay so there's a thing that happens and like so what 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 do I do like where yeah. what and so there wasn't really a strong hook for me other than just being like enamored with the setting in the world right yeah. um which is so, a good testimony to, to uh, yeah. uh the world building right but the first time I started to make a connection between two pieces of information I had that it just started a snowball like i just mm. you know each little thing led to three more things and it was just hard to stop and i feel mm. like that this game does benefit and i say that to say that this game benefits from you being able to do that like if you yeah. can't dedicate your you know your time and resources to it i feel like it's not nearly as enriching and in a lot of ways that makes it sort of inaccessible which is, might be an interesting thing to talk about yeah and i guess the other piece too for me is if we, you compared it to Oberdin earlier um so it's impossible for most of, of playing Outer Wilds to have any sense of the scale of the problem you're trying to solve. Um, whereas in Oberdin, I knew from basically the first five minutes of the game what the problem was that I needed to solve. And so for me, that's also a lot easier. Like yeah, yeah. like having having a sense of, okay, if I do, like here's the end point. Like with Oberdin, right? You're looking at the the picture at the very beginning of the crew of the whole. And there's blanks to fill in. Yeah, and it's like, okay, if I fill all these blanks in, I'm done. And so knowing that at the front, for me, in terms of my, I don't think it's necessarily my enjoyment because I get different enjoyment out of solving puzzles than I do out of other kinds of game experiences. But, but with something like Oberdin, I I was driven by that sense of I know where the finish line is and I know how to get there, um, even though it, it's going to be hard and sometimes I'm going to hit walls. I I know those things, and for me, kind of psychically, that's important. Um, so so the kind of aimlessness of not not that it's aimless, but but without or wilds, I I think I I enjoyed it for a while as an experience, but I was not motivated to solve it in the same way. Um, I feel like it, it really just came down to it's it started with one question. Like I had one question which was why is the sun exploding? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and and in trying to find answers to that it just led to more questions that yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and I do feel like yeah that's what it led to but but still it's like why like do I really think I'm going to be able to stop this thing from happening? So like what yeah. Yeah, to what end, you know? Um Yeah, and yeah. I I mean, I, I totally get like being driven to, to solve that. And I, I also think it's weird. Like I, in some ways I think it's an, an age thing for me too. Like when I was in my twenties, I played lots of games that I think now, like, why did you spend 50 hours on that? Like, <laughs> what'd you get out of it? And then I look at, you know, like myself today and I just, I, I wouldn't put that commitment into a lot of, not just games even, but, you know, books, films, I'm just like, eh, that's, that's too much. So, um, so I think it's I've shifted in in terms of my my motivation for for that kind of problem solving as well. Well, I think that's especially interesting, sort of in relation to the whole idea of of returning it, mm -hmm. because I think there's there's a really valid experience of uh, playing the Outer Wilds. And like opening it and playing it for like an hour and realizing whether or not you are going to enjoy the experience after that. Mm -hmm. Right. Not not in a sense of I've gotten I've gotten what I wanted out of it, or I got like 
you know, a free a free movie for the evening, essentially. <laughs> Time uh, to return it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, so in that way, it's it's a situation that's a lot more compelling to me versus if you didn't like the ending of Subsurface Circular and you you beat it in an hour and forty five minutes, right? And you return it. Um, but I just you know one thing to consider with that calculation is according to how long to beat. It t- this is like a 15, 20 hour game. So, so like the percentage, I know this is kind of what you were, tr- the point you were trying to make, I guess, but like the percentage of the content or like the, per- like, yeah, in, in an hour, you get an idea of how long of whether you're going to like it, but in an hour, you also get through half the game of subsurface circular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely like a trade-off, um, especially because Subsurface Circular particularly frames itself as a short game. So like it's like a, a Bithel short, I think is what they title it. Oh, um, I thought it was Bithel. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's Bithel. I don't... I thought it was no, is a it, last that's the writer, name. That's the writer's last name. His, I don't think his last name is Bithel. I think it's Bithel. I thought it was a. I thought he was a put on. I thought he was no, calling himself. His name himself- is Mike. His name is Mike Bithel. <laughs> I, I think I, that, I might that be can't wrong. Possibly be right. <laughs> I do I love the idea. He was making it up. He was like, "My name is Mike Bithel." <laughs> okay, that's and pretty this badass. Bithel Games, because like think, it's it seems so I want perfect. That to be true now. I want that to be true now. <laughs> I, I think we need to to come up. We need to revolutionize the idea <laughs> of game developer pseudonyms. Yes. Player unknown is is a weak pseudonym. Uh-huh. Bit hell is is it a is great tour. Yes. Also, pseudonym. I just through trying to find this information, I just realized that this guy also made the solitaire conspiracy, mm-hmm. and Thomas was alone, which I did not realize that. Yep. Uh, so so I did know the Thomas was alone thing because I found the Easter egg in the game to be a bit much. <laughs> But oh, I didn't. I didn't notice. I guess you. I think it's the priest. You can talk to the priest and they about ask Danny? if you like. Uh huh. The story about jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh yeah. I actually, you can ask him like, you know, I think it's like which which of the the gods do you like mm-hmm. follow? And he's like, oh yeah, I follow like Thomas. Like because I'm a, I'm a Thomasian. Yep. Um, and then he goes and he's like, Thomas did this, and then he did that. And I'm like, wait, this is just Thomas was alone. <laughs> and then I was like, that's enough. That's enough. That's I've, I've heard everything now. I um, went to the end because I knew there was an achievement. Oh, uh, see, that's probably one of my, my two hidden achievements that yep. I'm missing. If you keep listening to the very end of the story, then you get the achievement for it. And I knew that was true. So I was like, I am going to hear this whole story about jumping. <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean we haven't talked about like some of the mechanics of outer wilds very much because um i actually um so i know that early on in our first impressions we talked about the controls a little bit and um 
flying a spaceship <laughs> is, you, you know, using your sort of like measuring your velocity acceleration is something that took a lot of practice for me to get good at. I flew into the sun on accident so many times. <laughs> um, but it was nice because Tanner, who's played 800 plus hours of Kerbal Space Program, was able to, <laughs> to, to, to help us through. Especially because there's actually some pretty challenging. Um, yep. I, I, I almost want to call it platforming. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. Um, or what other pair parallel to make. But um, did anybody uh, go to the Dark Bramble? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is, again, the area I had to have Tanner do because it went, it, it made me want to pee my pants Aww. so bad. It was so bad. Um, but you know, there's a portion in the game where. Um, <laughs> which now it's going to be a really memorable game experience of mine forever uh where you have to get past a couple of the anglerfish that are in a very close quarters and they're like not moving and you have to go past them mm -hmm. um in order to get to the vessel it's where the the the, the uh no my vessel crashed um and it's very difficult to get to um and i was just thinking about you know how much fiddly movement it required to get through that without using your thrusters because the thrusters are what attracts mm -hmm. them um and i was just the whole time thinking about like if i had any sort of like difficulty use like if i wasn't super familiar with using a controller or if i hadn't spent all this time figuring out how you know how you maintain velocity <laughs> if you get you know um how difficult how i, I feel like it would have been impossible for uh, for me to get through it that yeah. plus how scary it was. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's actually probably my biggest criticism of the game is that it's it's very inaccessible to a lot of people. Maybe there are settings that would, would mitigate some of that. Like the ship has an autopilot, but I, I don't think that would cover all the bases. For, the autopilot for the... does fly you into the sun sometimes. Yeah, and even then, like the the kind of like maneuvering you have to do, like with the jetpack after that. Uh, I think there are some ways that you could you could alter that experience so that more people could complete it, uh, especially Not to because how how did, it's how not you... mechanic heavy. And, and how you actually have to finish, like, if you are going to get to the end. Um, and I actually, I, I'm, I'm sort of developing this. I don't feel like that they expect most people to get to the end. I really don't. Because um, it's pretty difficult to get there. And some of the things that you actually have to do are, they did sort of feel like a puzzle that didn't have very good clues towards how to solve. Um, and so in particular, so there was three things that, that we ended up looking up while we we're playing the game. And it was all at the very end. And it was all related to like just getting to the end of the game. Mm. Um, and one of them was that, um, so there's portals in the game mm -hmm. that uh, teleport you around. Um, there's one of them, um, there's a series of them on the Ash Twin. And again, this is big spoilers. This is way more yeah. interesting. If you still are planning on like solving the puzzle, you can mute me or something. <laughs> <laughs> but on Ash Twin, there's a series of towers that all have portals to the planets that the towers represent um, in different places on those portals. But one of them is to the Ash Twin itself, which is how you get to like the secret chamber. Um, but you can't teleport it to itself. So you have to point it at its twin and then you have to time it such that while the while the like beam of sand between them is going over you. You have to run from under a bridge that is covering you to touch the portal 
before the portal deactivates. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, man, like, so for how well designed and how many great hints are about how to get places, about what things are and aren't important, that felt like a sort of not great, <laughs> um, very arbitrary solution yeah. to what didn't have to be probably. Um, so that was so that's why I brought up the end of the Oberdin with the with the sock puzzle. Was it a sock or a shoe? I can't remember. I think it was literally that he was missing a sock and that's yeah. why the yeah. guy. Um and so it felt like there was a little bit of that. Um mm -hmm. plus some things like so um did y'all find anything out about the quantum moon? I, I don't see the quantum moon? I don't think, think so. No. What about you what about quantum rocks in general? No. no. Okay, so the whole there's a whole giant subplot in the game about quantum objects that only exist while you're looking at them. Oh, but um, yes, because there's there's inside one of the temples, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay, okay. I didn't. There's I one guess, behind the museum too. I yeah, think. There's one in the museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, it, it's it's really like important to like the overall plot these quantum objects end up being, um, and you end up learning that you can take a photo of them yep. with your with your with your thing so yeah. that um they I still stay now. where they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really so. There's a moon. There's a whole moon in yeah. the system that only exists while you look at it. And so you have to land on it. And and I was like, oh, okay, I'll take a picture of it. Because once you fly through it, it's like very foggy. And so you have to be able to be able to see it still. Um, that is brilliant and extremely frustrating. It's brilliant. And so, but, but I was, I was like, okay, there's a whole, there's a whole tutorial on how to take pictures of quantum objects to remember where they're at. So I was like, oh, this is obviously because of the moon, right? So I got out of my ship, threw my scout, took a picture of it, got back in my ship. And then I put away my scout thing and it got rid of the picture mm. and i was like oh okay i can't do that okay so i moved on for the rest of the game and you can ask tanner about how obsessed i was about landing on this quantum moon i was like <laughs> we have to find out how to land on the moon right. like, it was the only thing i cared about i wanted to land on it so bad and and it turns out that i was correct you just have to take a picture on it you just have to do it while you're already in your cockpit or else and so it was stuff like that in these sorts of games that i find frustrating and i know that was a bit of a long tirade where i'm just explaining puzzles in the game but i feel like it's important to talk about um narratively right like yeah it it, it felt like because i had solved the problem i had solved the problem i had solved it correctly i just didn't do the exact right thing yes um and with these sorts of games i feel like that always happens somewhere mm -hmm. um and it's and i don't really know what to say about that other than that it's clearly you know it's to design a game of this scale with this many of those problems um with this many of things that are just subtle hints towards how to fix problems and you know subtle clues on where the secret path is and you know that sort of thing um I don't know if it's possible to not have the problems, but it constantly is something that haunts them, in my opinion. And I'm just curious if there's any thoughts about that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's a it's something obviously that's that plagues puzzle games kind of almost through their history, because um, I made the comparison at the beginning to Mist, which I, Mist. Yeah was a very hard game to solve and it, it it had way fewer clues it was it was sort of the beginning of of you know computer games exploring this this kind of empty not i mean mist was a lot emptier than 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 outer wilds is but they share i think a lot of that same aesthetic of you're an individual in this kind of space with lots of objects to interact with and and you're 
you're solving this kind of grand puzzle as a result of that. And, and um, it's a really tricky line, right? Because you don't want to, first of all, it's an audience problem. Like who is it you're writing these puzzles for and how, you know, cause, cause like when you buy puzzle books, for instance, some puzzle books, you know, like there's the crosswords for easy people across, you know, like for, and, and you, people buy the book based on how hard they want the puzzles to be. Whereas in a game like this, you, you typically want to kind of reach a broad audience. So it's like, um, I'm kind of rambling here, but, but, I think it's a classic problem for puzzle making um, that you're getting at. And so, so yeah. it's, it's not surprising that they ran into it, um, no. especially because they're trying to reach a really broad audience. Right. And it's a um, really huge scale of a puzzle. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how interconnected it is. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting thing that, you know, I, I don't, I know there's no obvious solution to, but yeah. Um, I just found it really compelling because it didn't ruin the experience for me, but it took something that I was so invested in. I was like, you know, every new discovery, like a couple things that happened um, that I, that we figured out, mm -hmm. um, they don't tell you that you figure it out, right? You actually have to make the connections yourself. I mean, they do yeah. a little bit in the, um, the log, but they don't make, they basically just recap stuff there. They don't really tell you mm -hmm. the connections. Um, but like I stood up and like, screamed like I was like oh my gosh it's this you know and, and that <laughs> feeling that I kept having over and over again with the game only to be capped off with that sort of other feeling was just that, yeah. that probably was the only the only negative thing I'd say about the game mm -hmm. yeah so this is exactly what Joe said but I'll just like just to add some supporting uh information I guess um the have, you, have any of you seen the movie Paycheck with Ben Affleck and no. and and Uma Thurman? So uh, I guess I'll spoil it. I don't know if you have any interest in watching it, but uh, it's all it's kind of like a time loop uh, thing where like he he wakes up with no memory and he has six completely random objects, and through the course of the story unfolding, they become useful in very specific ways so like for example there's someone like chasing him and he has a paper clip and he uses it to short a control panel and like you know it fizzes and explodes or something uh and it's it's i think when when people are making puzzles in games i think they they want you to be ben affleck in that movie where <laughs> he, you know he he had these objects. You always and it, have that moment of realization. Well, well, he he had the the idea is that he saw into his own future before his memory was wiped, and so he gave himself these clues that he knew he would know when to use them because he is himself. And so, when you're playing a game, like, or when you're not when you're playing a game, ideally not when you're playing a game, but when you're doing a puzzle, I think sometimes it sort of feels like they they are sort of writing it for themselves, or they're writing it for someone who thinks like they do and just expecting you to have this aha moment, but it's, you know, not yeah. everyone's going to have that aha moment and it's not going to land the same for everybody. One person might have that aha moment and just think, Oh, come on. But another person like Olivia was talking about might have it and be just super excited. That they did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible. I think getting to those aha moments. And I think another piece of it is that um, we, <laughs> I think our mental models for how games use information have really been modified over the last decade. 
um, by the the kind of way that objects are used in kind of in large like open world games. So you could take a game like Skyrim, right, where you've got like you're basically told what the plot objects are. You're, like you're, and this has become more and more a kind of helping element in, in in these sort of big, broad audience games where it's like this this object matters. This object can be sold. This object, right, is just rubbish, and you can throw it away if you want to. And and you know we've gotten to the point in UIs where like you go down the list of objects and you know well these are all sellable. These are resources that I can craft Alien, with them. Put them in different tabs. Yeah, exactly. And you. so it's like and it's because players reacted so strongly in the, you know, again, probably 10, 15, 10, 12 years ago, maybe um, players were reacting so strongly to this, like, well, can I keep this object? Do I need it later? Like, is it important to a plot? And we were like all freaking out about it. So now there's like, I think we've been overrun with this UI help. And so being in a game where it's harder to know what objects are for, um, I think messes with the way our mental models have kind of been adapted. So, Oh yeah. I, that, I, that is interesting. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Also, Dan. sort of picking back, piggybacking off of uh, Robbie's point. I think I think timing is one of the hardest things for games in general. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, for things like like horror or comedy, like you know, comedy is probably one of the the most underserved genres in games in terms of you know popular genres. Uh, it's really hard to make a, a successful pure comedy game um but but all of that relies on on the players sort of reaching these peak moments when you need them to and sort mm -hmm. of straddling that balance between how much agency do you give them you know yep. like if you're making a horror game is this chase scene essentially a cinematic or do you accept that the, the player might run like head first into the monster like 15 times before they finally figure out how to get out whereas in a movie you know they always barely get away and like yeah you know the the machete goes through the door as they slam it shut behind them sort of thing uh and, and that's what you strive for with with games or that aha moment with puzzles yeah but it, you have to be very careful about how you get people there um so that but, they feel as if they they did it on their own or it happened naturally i feel like yeah. And just super fast, we probably should wind down actually, but the, you, you reminded me actually that the, the only real use of humor in Outer Wilds is, is actually the one thing that I was feeling annoyed about, which is that you, the responses that you're offered to the, in the dialogues are totally like throwaway snarky. Um, they're like the kind of humor that everybody's kind of into right now, which is this like, I'm going to say something sort of clever and funny and um, and that counts as like my character. Um, and it's actually the only thing that bugs me about about Outer Wilds is that like it's clever without any wit. Yeah, it's really. And, and if you guys I've noticed it probably the most in the village because that's where the most dialogue was. But yeah, there's was, definitely not much more dialogue in the rest of the game. No, and I. And and maybe again I'm I'm being nitpicky because it's not a game about that kind of story, but it it just feels like thousands of games literally that I've played before where they're like, well, this is what people like. Here's the snappy response, and here's like, well, I don't, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it just I thought anyway, 
that's this is just to come back to Tanner's point that like that's what counts for humor often is like oh here's the here's the funny response here's the angry response here's the you know yeah I don't care here's the I don't care response well I mean I think that's interesting because that's like you said with writing you can you can iterate over it and you can have a lot of control on the timing like when when players execute lines yeah um you have a lot less control over like where the player is and what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. So sort of the, the juxtaposition between something like the the comedy of, of Deadpool that is mm. self-aware and translates into a video game pretty easily because he just has to make fourth wall jokes yep. uh, while, while you beat up bad guys. He just has um, to look at the camera and say chimichangas. Exactly. <laughs> whereas whereas like physical comedy in games is yeah. almost entirely in the realm of like unintentional design. So like yeah. bugs and things like that. Yeah. Like the yeah. the wild things that can happen in Glitches. Skyrim unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Uh and I, I know some games have tried to like lean into that uh sort of sort of effects, but there there's none that really stand out in my mind as is succeeding uh yeah, which the best we get is like borderlands with like you know the very lowbrow like dirty humor constantly that never stops and right. and it still doesn't quite feel like it can reach the same level of like actually funny that like movies can do mm-hmm. yeah but i mean essentially to say that yeah I, th- I think that the hardest part about something uh like that is the timing and you know the the writing I found to be a lot more satisfying uh, in the Outer Wilds was like the notes from the Nomai mm. because oh gosh, it was so more different. Like they were writing with that alien perspective. Yeah, uh, and so it was a little bit conceited, but I found that those parts were a lot more enjoyable. While mm-hmm. the the stuff in like the village and with the other Parthians was like. Mm-hmm. definitely seemed more canned to yep. me just to sort of quickly let you know what the atmosphere is like here um and that that kind of thing but yep. so i do think that with timing um and, and one of the reasons that i feel like that's actually a really interesting thing to talk about with this game is because i feel like 98 percent of the time this game gets it right not in terms of comedy but in terms of revealing information right i just can't remember how many times we you know that you start hearing the music start playing when the sun's about to explode and you see one more line of dialogue on the wall and you just barely get to it it seems like every piece of information in the game is valuable right it is a clue it is it is the key item in an rpg right that is yeah. what you're like every single thing yep is packed with meaning. Every drawing on the wall, every characterful line between all the different Nobi, and there's a bunch of different Nomai characters we get perspective from. We get to see children's writings, we get to see yeah. all these, and all of it has information that is useful for some something, right? Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, providing more context for some for some bigger problem, but it also might be, hey, this children's rhyme is actually telling us how to get around the anglerfish in the dark bramble like you know everything has a little and even if it's just characterful i feel like you know framing them as like this other race of people is and i i just felt like i always felt like it you know i wanted just a little bit more information right when it ended yeah. It felt like it was t- like it literally and now it's supposed to be a 22 minute loop, but it literally felt like right when I was getting to like the end of the tunnel, 
where the big piece <laughs> of information was is right when they would pull you back. Yeah. But it would also be right after I actually got the the kernel of stuff that because it, it would still open up so many more doors just from the stuff I did get to. Yeah. So I feel like the fact that the reason that it works so well for me in terms of timing is because every single thing if it wasn't important, it was exciting. You know, um, it felt like you were an archaeologist astronaut yeah. landing on this planet with it, it. It's so wild to me that it can capture that feeling despite the really weird scale of the game. It feels simultaneously massive and just absolutely tiny at the same time. Yeah. Like this entire solar system is like the size of like a county. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I yeah, saw it, a the, the demo that the a game creator put out the sort of the this is my game uh uh youtube video he I, I actually pointed that out that it's uh the scale of things is meant to be uh these whole entire planets are basically you know softball size and they're you know they're they're, they're uh, just floating out there relative you know yeah. time and space differences uh are are, are definitely smaller and 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 that was definitely a design choice of his. Yeah. yeah. There's something uncanny about it, but also something really endearing about it, right? Like, oh, this is yeah, the moon. I agree. And yeah. there's a campfire on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And a guy just up there and playing that, a banjo, like, oh. Yeah, you can do the listening thing and hear the the hear what's going on, you know. All oh, the way did you the did you yeah. did anyone ever notice that if you line up all of the audio signals, they're playing in sync with each other? Oh no. <laughs> they're all playing That's a song brilliant. together. Yeah. <laughs> I accidentally I got an achievement. I got an achievement for lining them all up on accident. Oh, Actually, right. Tanner did. And it was well, really we, funny because we were literally going through a black hole and he accidentally opened up the signal thing and it just happened to be <laughs> When When you play until 5 a.m., that's the kind of result. Yes. <laughs> exactly. a, a short game, a, play a short game for, what did you say, seven hours, eight hours? I don't even know. Hours. It was, it was hours. a while. A while. <laughs> and I loved absolutely every minute of it. An outer while. <laughs> okay on that note uh we should probably wrap up when when joe starts making jokes like that we know it's time to wrap up um so uh you guys want to do final thoughts uh who wants to jump in with final thoughts joe yes <laughs> i i felt like these were a really great pairing and they helped me to think about the kind of range of ways that stories are, are getting told in games, um, not just right now, but over the kind of history and development of game design. So it was a, it was a great month for me. Thanks, Tanner. No problem, Joe. I will, I will jump in and piggyback on exactly that. I think, uh, as I mentioned early on in this, I'm, I'm just always impressed at the new and interesting uh, uh, ways that people can create interactive narrative and uh, with within games like this, and uh, this is just another set of two that were similar to other games that we've played before in in a few sort of general ways, but definitely did their own thing in a very in their own unique uh, with their own unique vision. And I really really appreciate anytime anybody can do that. So yeah, these were two two good ones. Yeah, good picks. Uh, I enjoyed them both. Uh, I think they were both trying to do uh, kind of different things, and but they were both kind of dense in their own ways. And I don't know, it was a great way to end uh, a series where we're talking about creating 
smaller experiences or at least more bite-sized things um, that sort of let someone that it's okay that you get, you have a lot of stopping points where you can stop and go live your life and come back and, or, or don't come back and still have a full delightful experience. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I like that. So I, I've, I've really been reining in my gushing over, over this game. Um, so that shows how I feel about, uh, specifically about Outer Wilds. Um, I honestly feel like this whole like podcast was worth it just for to finally get me to play it because it, it feels really important for some reason. There's something about it that the way that it tells its narrative, the sort of scale at which it does that, some of the really interesting choices it makes along the way. Um, I can see now why so many like games writers and, and people were talking about this game and, and trying to get as many people as they could to play it at gunpoint as they could. Um, but I also see that, you know, it's it's definitely takes a big investment. And and as a narrative game, taking a big investment like that, I just I find it very interesting. And but I do feel like even just going and exploring Timber Hearth is, is worth it. If anybody's listening and, and they're intimidated by the idea of this giant puzzle, um, just go and check out Timber Hearth and see what you think and see if it, we want to go exploring the universe. Um, and Subsurface Circular, I also really loved it. You know, it's definitely more self-contained and, um, you know, and sometimes a game doesn't need to be building on itself or building on anything or even adhering to genre norms, <laughs> you know, to be really interesting. And, and I, I actually liked, I, for, this is one of the only games that I, I think I, I would have liked to have been a little longer. Um, I, I wanted to, there to be more time for it to be developed for the, the ending to feel like, you know, mm. to feel like we got somewhere that I, that I, you know, wanted to be, um, but, um, but yeah, definitely two really interesting narrative games, two really interesting games mechanically too. Um, definitely a really cool way to to end the season. Well, to to follow up all of that wonderful closing thought. You just muted yourself. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I had to uh wait, had maybe to that was his point. He was like to follow. He's making all a that statement. Up, he's like nothing. All of nothing. I offer you nothing. And hard ending. Podcast <laughs> over. Uh, uh no, I'm I'm glad I came back to the Outer Wilds. It's something that's gonna stick in my head for a long time, I think. Um there's a lot of uh, really clever moments in there. Uh, the way that um, it's overwhelmingly likely that you will at some point fail the platforming on one of the planets and fall into the, the black hole at the center of the, the planet. And that will give you some more information in what might, in a different game, had been a like just a fail state. Uh, so that, that that's uh, one thing that's stuck in my head that re really encapsulates uh, something I appreciated about that game. And with Subsurface Circular, I know we were uh, kind of critical about it, uh, or at least I was. Um, but one of my favorite sort of kind of moments in that game is whenever you're just uh, sort of building these connections between the other passengers in the car and, and really feeling like you're living in this space for a little bit. Um, those kinds of puzzles in that game were uh, a lot more satisfying to me. Um, and really enjoyed both of them and the, the kind of things with the uh unlocking the the conversation uh topics uh and that kind of thing i thought was a really uh fresh way to present 
something that narrative games have been doing for a while uh, in terms of yeah. how you unlock new dialogue and new options and how how conversations progress. But but yeah, so I've I've had a, a great time this season playing uh, all these shorter games. Me too. Um, or yeah, with with sort of exit points, as Robbie said, I think is a really valuable part of it. Uh, to I won't say too many games, but it's it's really common to have uh, to try and keep you in as long as possible mm. to keep you sort of invested in that space. Uh, but but games that sort of respect your time and let you come and go as needed uh, are are nice. Um, Definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good good place to be taking. And a good alternative to those like you just mentioned that are trying to keep you in there for, for as long as possible. And, and, and I, what I mentioned earlier about having that, the, the interesting thing that you get out of having that constrained space, it's almost like haiku, right? Uh, where you get good stuff out of trying to keep it really, really narrow. Um, well, all right. Um, I think that's, that's, we've said about everything we can say about these two games. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, we haven't quite picked out what we're going to do for next season yet, but uh, keep an eye out on our Facebook and Twitter and all of those kinds of places. Um, and we will post that pretty soon. Um, and right underneath us right now playing is uh, the music Plain Loafer by Kevin McLeod. Um, as always, if you need any music uh, for your project, he's got a huge catalog of stuff. Just look up Kevin McLeod. And uh, he's got a lot of free music uh, out there under the Creative Commons license. And um, if you played along with the games this, this season uh, and this month, uh, let us know what you thought about it, either on our website at littlerockgames.com or on our Facebook page, or join us on Discord. Um, we've got a wonderful little community that I mention often growing there around our games and around the podcast, and, and come find out the other things that we're doing in addition to the podcast. Um, I think I've covered everything. Uh, oh, the one last big thing. I hope everybody out there in our listening audience has a fantastic holiday season coming up. Uh, and, and so uh, spend good time with your family and your friends. And, uh, and we will see you guys next year. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.